0: Hi, everybody. This is Alex. We thought this episode was full of stuff that should go out to the general public. So even though it is a bonus episode, we're going to release it here for you now. If you like this episode, you should support our show because we need support to keep doing the show. Also, consider you may want to go to our live show September 10th at caveat and the link for that is in the episode description and pinned to our twitter you sick fucks all right have fun
1: lock them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness the government gives them the drugs builds bigger prisons passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing god
0: Started. Grab your motherfucking headphones, cause it's podcast time. Anders Lee here. Anders is here. What, what? Who? What voice is this? It's my announcer voice. Welcome to the okay. show. Why not head on down to the lobby and get some snackaroos? All right, this is scraping me out. Do you ever? I went to Nighthawk a week or so ago, and uh-huh. they have, like, explicit advertisements for bonbons, which is just, like, the concept of candy. Like, not even, like, not even, like, a real candy.
2: As in, like, they do it as sort of, like, a vintage ad, like, this is a throwback, and they don't actually sell it there?
0: Yeah, like, they're just, like, they've moved past the the visceral in the psycho realm, and are now directly touching the meat of your brain. Hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do at the start of our show.
2: Get people thinking bonbons?
0: I don't start a lot of these. I'm kind of like a yeah. background character.
2: I would have started if, you if you know, I can still do that.
0: No, no, this is what we're Damn using. It. All right. Yeah. yeah. This is it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's me, Alex Patak. I'm here. Jake is off in his, uh, his research chambers, his pod.
2: He's researching the chemical elements of cocaine, whatever the chemical combination of cocaine is.
0: Right. He's about—he's on the verge of a breakthrough. Right. <laughs> he's about to untap it all. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably that's probably going to be pretty big when that comes out. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, it's just your boys here this week. We got a special guest. We're talking. We're talking climate again. Not, How do you feel climate, about that?
2: <laughs> I tell you this. The climate is changing, but is there a climate for change? Which is what we will need to stop the other climate from changing. We need to yeah, stop the climate change by changing our political climate. I think that was someone else's line. I think that was probably a Stein line. Jill Stein. It writes itself,
0: really. I don't know. Yeah. When, when you said it, I was like, it did make me wonder if you've ever written a song Oh yeah, I, I actually like, yes. I've, this is the one hobby I've never heard you bring up. I mean, I write lyrics when uh, when the
2: climate is ripe for lyrical. I I did before I, I, we one degree
0: warming. Anders would write lyrics, but now I he's done. This,
2: well, I wake up with songs in my head, and I was going to premiere this. Uh, or I did premiere it off air for just Alex, but. Um, the recent news about Cuomo made me think of a song, "Ding Dong, the Asshole's Gone." Okay. Uh, put the rest is quite vulgar, so never. Let's keep it off air. But so this uh, is like your diss track. Well, it was. It was just a reassuring track to people that they won't be sexually harassed by this creep.
0: This is like when Eminem had a fuel uh, had a feud with Double XL, but it's you and disgraced Governor Andrew Cuomo. Yep. That's
2: going to be great. That's what I mean, he's such a pity, petty, vindictive piece of shit. That's what he's going to be doing is just getting infused with people and releasing statements. I, oh, that's what I hope anyway, is that he's uh, going to be insulting people all the time as an My ex-governor. My money
0: is real good.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's – yeah, what is he going to do for money now? I, I mean, he has the book advance. Apparently, Random House is in trouble because uh, – this very awkward situation for them as publisher. Uh, but what's he going to do as an ex governor? That's what I'm wondering. And I think he's probably going to have to do an Oprah interview, an Oprah style interview. What's you don't the, the do not think he's going to do? The Rahm Emanuel circuit? No, I, I because Rahm Emanuel, the things that he uh, got in trouble for, and it wasn't it was political trouble. It wasn't legal trouble uh we're all administrative he covered up the murder of a kid uh and didn't face any legal consequences he didn't run for re-election so he you know they couldn't get vote him out um but because it was an administ- administrative thing and not a personal you know psychosexual situation it didn't really matter so he's yeah. fine and he can make do the do the uh circuit for talk shows and stuff Cuomo I don't think the public doesn't luxury. care
0: about murder as much, right? It's kind of played out, I think, in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you Were you surprised when he resigned? We just did that episode on him. We said, "No way, uh, he's going to be around forever." I'm still working our way into our, into his social circle. We're gonna we're gonna be Cuomo fied. I was uh, surprised. They're gonna have to get him out with a fork. Yeah, that's what I thought because he, you know, people were saying, "Oh, he
2: relishes this stuff." He's not, and he is like a delusional, crazy guy. Uh, so he's not gonna just go, you know, before a fight. Uh, but I think he saw the writing was on the wall. Um, H- Hasty, Hasty, whatever his name is, is one of Cornwall's biggest allies. Who's the assembly speaker who blocked or refused to um, put up for a vote? Right, the uh, the public power legislation. Um so that guy sucks but he still
0: That guy sucks. Yes.
2: but he still uh bowed to the pressure to impeach Cuomo which is what they were prepared to do so I think as a courtesy he probably went to the governor and said look it's you're not going to make it. It's over. It's over, right? And so he left him with the your last
0: stable of women goodbye. <laughs> Um, but you do think it's political pressure you don't think like his wife just read the report I don't think and he was actually, mad at him I
2: didn't realize this he doesn't have a wife right now so what yeah he's divorced um
0: that's why he's so ready to mingle I guess so because he's single yeah that's the cre- creepy thing about it is he could have just he easily could have gotten away
2: and it's not even a question of getting away he could have dated. Right? And maybe he did date. I don't know what his actual dating life is like. He was openly trying to
0: date. That kind of was the problem.
2: Right. And you can't and he couldn't find a way to just go about that like a normal person. You know, just, He's
0: not even cheating. He's just failing to pick up chicks. It's exactly it's worse. Yeah. It's a worse version of the scandal. <laughs> right. His wife probably could have saved us a few years if she would just gone on record and been like, Andy's weird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's mean, why he i left he's weird <laughs> he didn't learn that's not how you ask women out you begin by apologizing and step one right and then you uh this
0: part is for the max
2: yes you preemptively apologize you send a a no worries if not that is was my number one tag that's a big part of to it. all of my you know date requests when i was a single mingler uh <laughs> What do you throw in there? I, for me, it was no words of thought uh, at the end of a like. Do you want to hang out sometime? No words of not. I would
0: do regards.
2: You would just say regards. No apology. Women
0: often worry that they don't have your regards. True. Because that means they've been invited to the table for negotiations.
2: Right, and I think you gotta you know go to the compromise with the negotiation. Assume that they find you disgusting, which Cuomo right did not do, and he should have, uh, and you say, um, apologies in advance, would you like to get a drink sometime? Uh, if you say no, I will never speak to you again, but not in a mean way. I will be totally, I I will respect your boundaries and never speak to you again. That's what I say.
0: Would you like to do bar trivia?
2: <laughs> That's what he could have asked. He but He didn't, you know, I think there's, he could have gotten away with, and again, it's not a question of getting away. He could have just asked his female friends and coworkers, uh, like, hey, I like this person. How do you suggest I go about asking them out? It could have been a fun little office romance, but that's not how he does things. He needs to be large and in charge at every waking moment. Uh, so he was a creep
0: and went on a power trip. Um Brought down by his own sexual enterprise. Yeah, And
2: now the we have... The king of
1: the vampires.
2: That's right. And now we got Kay Hoax, Kathy Hochul, coming in in two weeks. And what I want to know is what... And I'm sure the legal New scholars are already looking at this. What unilateral authority is she going to have in the next two weeks? To, like, give himself... Is there a way he can give himself immunity? That's what I want to know. Why two weeks? What's happening? Uh,
0: there's got to be some... I think it's just polite. Is it? I think the polite to thing like to do would be out. to
2: leave, um, like, months ago.
0: He's gotta, gotta wrap up his files.
2: Well, that's the thing, is there probably are files, there's probably favors he owes his wealthy donors, and so he's...
0: Don't you think there's a world where he stays in there, but just keeps giving us concessions the entire time? I feel like that's kind of the best possible scenario. I yeah, but but people don't realize this guy was like the linchpin stopping all progress in New York State for 10. years. Right, right. (laughs) So like he could have, you know, just given us some more shit. He already made weed legal. That was cool. Uh, Well, the funny thing
2: is, is that his compromise that he was going to do in lieu of leaving, he said like, all right, all right. How about this? You don't impeach me. And in exchange, I will not run for a fourth term. That was his big compromise, is that he doesn't seek reelection, which is just delusional at this point. Like, this is just a few days ago. That's what he was putting on the table. And they're like, I'm sorry, it's it's over, dude.
0: Well, if you don't take the deal, he can resign, then come back, run again. Which he had his time off. He's resting. Right.
2: And let's be clear, do not put that past him because he is absolutely thinking about running
0: again. He's running. Hillary Clinton is backing him. Yeah,
2: he's gonna do some. Ret- this is probably what's gonna happen because this guy can't. He's been in power since uh, before I could even drink legally. He's been, you know, the governor All those since years. Then. Yeah, and then attorney general before that. He's been in public office office for such a long time. I don't think he's gonna know what to do. So he's gonna plan his comeback. He's gonna do some fake, phony Anthony Weiner style retreat where he gets therapy for his weirdness and then try to come back and run for probably governor again because he wants that fourth term he wants to
0: outdo his father some men just need therapy to stop them from calling ladies mama Sita yes and that's what he'll be getting well you know what else needs therapy is the planet Earth that's right and by therapy I mean a reduction in carbon emissions. <laughs> That was good. We got to do it. That was one of one of my better segues. Uh, Congrats. So that's what we're talking about now. We got a very exciting guest. Let's cut to the interview and let's play it. That's right. We are here now live with the famous Sean Estelle, former DSA National Politic- Political Committee member from 2019-2021. Chicago they them pronouns Sean thanks for coming on the show
1: yeah of course thanks so much for having me really appreciate uh, having some folks to talk with about this report and the state of the world while it's thunderstorming uh, in Chicago so
2: absolutely let's, we're in let's one of the, uh,
1: oh yeah we're all in different
0: places New York's in one of the heat waves that will be occurring once every three days for the rest <laughs> of our
1: lives so I'm enjoying that
2: D.C. has desertified uh, for the month of August.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have Lake Michigan is currently, like, being emptied and dropped onto the rest of Chicago. So,
2: Ooh, I mean, at least it's not happening on St. Patrick's Day when all that stuff is <laughs> green. Or is that just the river?
0: Anyway. No one knows. Um, yeah, exciting time for all, all the big climate heads out there where we get an update on this shit once every six months and get to go nice looks good i was right again yep, yep. <laughs> keep <Absolutely>. it up <laughs> um
2: so let's for start the, with the the good news which is is
1: there any there there's there's like a little bit well the good news the good news is that there were uh like uh, 700 people, uh, that were on our green new deal for public schools launch last night. Um, we're starting a new campaign despite all of the bad news, um, that's been tweeted right. About in the last 24 hours. So, uh, you know, that's the good news. And, you know, we can dive into that after talking about the report, um, is so that like a lot of us are still in motion, which is really good.
2: The Was good there news. any good news in the report? Were they like, Hey, uh, <coughs> Global warming on the rise, climate change on the rise, but possibly global cooling also happening. I got too. this. I got this. Climate uh, unchange is maybe happening in small amounts.
0: It's very funny. So there, this is included in several of the articles I've read. They're like, so there's a lot of bad news. But the good news is the last time we had a report, we were expecting up to four and a half degrees Celsius warming in the next hundred years. But after this report... We're maxing out at four, so oh. you know, haters mad. Uh, only four degrees warming in a worst case scenario. We're hitting the dab on it. Uh, forget about turtles. You're not going to see turtles anymore.
1: <laughs> I also read that there <laughs> that there was some good news. Basically, that like if we hit net zero um, as rapidly as possible, then uh, the the scientific consensus basically is that there probably is not going to be such bad feedback loops that it's just going to keep warming forever. Um, I think they modeled the different pathways. And I think there is one pathway where like (laughs) there's just runaway climate change forever um, if we just keep using fossil fuels. But I think that the sort of other end, which is if we hit net zero, we do as much as possible that, um, you know, it's not like everything is going to suddenly end up uh, like the ice caps aren't all going to immediately melt and release all the methane. Like the worst case scenario it seems, mm. uh, it seems like there is a way to avoid the worst case scenario. Um, but yeah, well, that's good. And how do you know all this <laughs> stuff? Is good.
2: Because I'm always curious when uh, socialists and leftists are scientifically mathematically inclined i think that's a good thing we need less people like me and more people like you how how did you get interested in science and socialism and, and combining the two
1: yeah totally so i do not really have any scientific training at all i got a theater degree in college uh, oh boy um,
2: okay yeah but, i know what that's like
1: <laughs> but um when i got politicized uh during my time at university i was part of a environmental group um, and, um, there were a lot of scientists that were involved in that group and so they basically, uh, helped myself and, and other people, uh, like find the right places to look and how to digest that information in a way that was useful in a way that we wouldn't get lost in all the numbers and in, that right. uh, we wouldn't understand, but in a way that we could pull things out and learn how to communicate it, it with other folks. And that's the great thing about uh, studying acting is you
2: soak up your – the people you study and you digest their information in there and you make it seem like you're an actual scientist. You could have fooled me.
0: (laughs) Totally. (laughs) One one of the many perks to acting, which we will need in full force in our Green New Deal. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that does sort of hit the nail on the head for – uh, in terms of addressing the problem here is there's a common understanding in the, in the in public culture in America and you know internationally that if there's a science problem, you need a scientist to solve it. But um, I want to get into the details of the report here. But essentially, that is the wrong way of thinking about it. Scientists have known what was going on since like 1950. Uh, they, they are not going to solve it. It's a political problem. right? There's no, like, numbers going the wrong way or anything.
1: We saw this coming a mile away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, like, you know, the um, so there have been individual scientists who have studied the problem for a really long time and who have been, like, raising alarm bells for a really long time. But it wasn't until the 90s, um, uh, like, late 80s, early 90s, when it started to become enough of a problem that people were, like, okay, we need to actually start building scientific consensus around this and like pulling from all of the different fields together and connecting it to uh, the possibility for policymaking around it because there was the ozone uh, holes that were happening, like this other big global problem. um, And people basically were like, we need to identify a way to utilize the science to create policy solutions Um, But in order to do that, we have to have a sort of scientific consensus that is apolitical. And so they uh, worked at the UN level to create the UN framework on climate change and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. So that's what you might see on Twitter when you see things like IPCC report is trending. That's the body within the UN Uh, or adjacent to the un that is gathering all of these reports you know there's tens of thousands of scientific reports that go into every single one of these synthesis reports that is put Mm. out by the ipcc Eh? so this latest one uh basically there's this is the sixth ipcc synthesis report and since they've started doing that in the mid 90s and so this report that just came out on Monday is the first working group, which is the, uh, the like, basis for the physical science um, around climate change. And it's an update on that uh, consensus around uh, what is causing climate change and, uh, like, how bad it is and what the effects are and that sort of thing.
0: Right. It's weird if you're um, plugged into this kinds of stuff because, you know, we get this big report. Uh, that comes out, and it confirms a lot of the things you're already worried about. Uh, but the real breakthrough in the science here is this is every country on Earth signs on to this thing. And, like, the, the the big development is, okay, we all agree it's man-made now, for sure. Before, we were only 98% sure, but now we're
1: 99.3% <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. I think the, the language in the last report was, like, Uh, we are reasonably sure that it's man-made and now it's (laughs) unequivocally sure that climate change is man-made. It's, you know, this is, this is the sort of thing that when we're building the climate science, they quibble over these words. And then the same thing ends up happening with the political solutions too. um, Like the, um, uh, the Paris agreement, Um, the words go back and forth and people will never sign on to um, reports that actually have binding solutions and then they'll get they'll create days and days and days of uh, essentially stalling that's why a climate agreement failed in 2009 in Copenhagen and that's why the one in 2015 in Paris isn't actually binding to anything because the U.S. and other powerful nations um, were like well, we're not going to hold ourselves accountable, and we refuse to sign on to this if it has any words in it, like individual words that might make it seem like we might be held accountable.
0: I don't want to so, feel scared. I don't want the report <laughs> to scare me.
2: So what did what 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 did it entail when Biden rejoined the Paris Accords? I and mean, does it really mean anything? Is- yeah,
1: totally. So, uh, you know, the process around uh, the Paris Agreement and the, the uh, International Climate Accords are super uh, important. Uh, they are completely inadequate. Um, but uh, to me, um, they are important because they are the one venue where we have um, both like those with decision making power and also civil society and scientists coming together across countries to start that dialogue of what it is going to take to solve climate change, because it is going to be like a global solution that has to happen. So in the way that like, the UN is totally inadequate and always has been, and it has always been in some ways gamed by powerful nations like the US. But then also there have been countries um, like Cuba and leaders um, like other folks who like go into that space and say there is potential here in that same way. um, I think we have to uh, recognize the fact that like we could hold people accountable through that framework. And basically everybody... When they signed on to the Paris Accord, they created what was called a nationally determined contribution, an NDC, that was saying this is how much uh, carbon emissions we are going to commit to reducing by X time. And then all of those things together created the Paris Agreement. Mm -hmm. And so then the IPCC and other policymakers and also other scientists sort of have a they have a baseline to measure. Here's where the science says we're going. And here's where the nationally determined contributions are, uh, if they get met 100%. And then the gap between those, that's how much faster we have to be going in order to get to the science. So in theory, they could do that without making policy recommendations. You're, you're, uh, you're tapping into the graphs here. This thing
0: is it's 4000 pages, it's chock full of graphs. Yes, if you're looking for a new desktop background on the failures of uh, uh, carbon levels, you should I highly recommend this report. Um, It's interesting that you say the uh, IPCC is the first. um, It's a it's a subsidiary of the UN. We did an episode with Kim Stanley Robinson about his book Ministry of the Future, where the hypothesis is essentially if you get a really good subdivision of the un they can maybe mm. kickstart some things going uh that gets everybody else on board for actually addressing climate change but yeah the, uh, the fact that we uh, like have like a, a soft version of that now is not super
1: inspiring for that method of a uh, solution i don't think totally i have lots of thoughts about uh that book um because <laughs> it's, uh you know it's it's uh really fascinating Like. This is uh, totally based on something that could really be happening, um, but also it's a completely different world, too. And is it actually the solutions that we want to be trying to get people to? I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like it's neither a dystopia nor a utopia, but like an okay topia um, a meditopia, if you will. Uh, It seems like now the U.S. is simultaneously like the worst Culprit in terms of emitting uh carbon, if I'm not mistaken, and also the country that's taking it like the least seriously, unless there's another one out there. But what what if every other country like gets their act together, and it's just the U S. that can't do? Because that's <laughs> frankly, that's as an American, that's.
0: That's an extremely yeah. likely uh-huh. scenario. I mean, I have the but...
2: least amount of faith in, in our own system and, and government, but is there any hope for that scenario? If, if the rest of the world gets it together and we're still emitting all this carbon, can can that work? Um, or it's inevitable that we're going to have to?
1: Well, I my response to that would basically be that one of the reasons why the U.S. is uh still emitting so much and why there's basically been an oil and gas boom in the US over the last like decade or so is be- thanks so, obama yeah uh right exactly um is because the oil export ban was lifted um so historically there was a policy um you know from bush and even before bush around Uh, energy independence and really focusing on developing oil in order to like lift up uh, the amount of uh, fossil fuels that Americans and Americans allies were using um, that didn't have to be uh, exported. And then Obama basically was like, well, domestic oil companies can also export it abroad too. Um, And so that's part of what led to um, many uh, new places in the U.S., like the Permian Basin, west of Texas, uh, getting, uh, um, you know, a lot of extraction happening there. And so if <coughs> those markets were to shut down and there was nowhere for it to go, uh, then uh, like if that happened, and then also if, um, you know, Uh, there were other policy levers that were pulled by other countries. So like, for example, uh, China is starting to move very, very rapidly on, um, standardizing electric vehicles for its bus fleets and for its personal vehicle fleets and making that sort of like the de facto. Um, and I I think China and the European union and other, uh, big major markets are starting to increase the miles per gallon requirements for fossil fuel vehicles and like setting a hard deadline of when there will be no more new internal combustion engines um, able to be produced. So Mm -hmm. if all of those other markets um, start to coordinate uh, and Plan uh, no. <laughs> against the free market, uh, then in theory, that would mean that it would be no longer financially feasible for internal combustion um, vehicles um, to uh, be only in the United States. Hmm. There still would be like 350 right. million people in the United States, um, most of whom own uh, at least one car. Um, I don't yeah. know the exact percentages, um, but that's still a lot and that still would lead to many emissions. And so you know, um, there's no way that we would be able to reach the best case scenario without getting the U.S. on board in a really serious way. But I do think that there is so much that could be done. And part of our job as like socialist internationalists is to point to uh, like the fact that the rest of the world is moving fast and like we have a job to like catch up to them because they are doing better than our shithole country, uh, basically. Right, we're we're
0: getting into the political solutions part of it again, um, which is going to be where you just keep ending up uh, in in terms of the crude oil exportation ban thing. That was uh, there's a new Kate Aronoff article out in the New Republic. Highly recommend, great one. Go check it out. Uh, it, it talks about the the kind of way that. Uh, political leaders are recognizing the problem, but then what they think is their equivalent of doing something. Because everyone and their mother is extremely into doing something. It's just some of the ideas are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Or are uh, just complete cowardice uh, 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 surrenders to global capital. So uh, one of the examples from the article is Barack Obama, in order to pass his uh, I, I think it's like clean tax initiatives that he wanted to get through made a compromise to end this crude oil export ban which now he very like confidently likes to tell people America is the leading crude oil exporter in the world which is good for crude oil exporters but was actually very bad at the initial idea of burning less crude oil for the world believe it or not Um, and it goes into like a the approach this country has to doing something is very hands-off stuff. It's a lot of like, we're going to pass out coupons and tax initiatives. We have 7 billion set aside in the government wallet and you can have some, if you go to our website and use a uh, 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 code poddam America, put that in there. Right.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, I think that like, There are some ways um, that I think the the Biden administration surprisingly has talked about the tax system um, that I think are more than coupons, Um, things like ending fossil fuel subsidies, um, because we just give away billions of dollars in coupons uh, and subsidies to the fossil fuel industry directly. And that could be ended just immediately. Um, and so, um, that is something that absolutely is like a, uh, very easy solution that the only thing standing in the way is like political will. Um, Mm. and so that's a piece that I think, um, really there should be like more pushing around because like Biden has said, he wanted to do it. And so we just want to like, you know, hold him accountable. Um, but, um, (laughs) I think that also there are definitely uh, many more uh, aggressive solutions that we could take. Uh, You know, when the pandemic uh, happened uh, last uh, March, when everything started to go into lockdown uh, and there were a couple of major market crashes, one of them was basically because There were financial uh, speculators that were betting on the price of oil um, and the 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 way that uh, oil was going to be changing hands and how much it was going to cost when it changed hands. And so when the markets crashed and everybody started using uh, stopped using that oil, stopped driving uh, when cruise ships stopped uh, going, et cetera, et cetera, we got to this place where all of a sudden. The house of cards came crashing down, and all of these people that were like betting on the derivatives market um, for oil uh, were going to be left holding a bag and losing tons of money. Um, and so we saw a bunch of mid sized companies in the US starting to go bankrupt um, because they didn't know what was going to happen. And so those companies basically. Uh, started to get snapped up by larger companies like ExxonMobil, the big oil super majors. And then when the uh, finance um, uh, people like, um, what's his name? Trump's uh, finance guy. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he basically, oh, uh, Mr. Dollar uh, Bill. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he basically engineered. Mnuchin? Uh, yes, Mnuchin. Thank you. Um, Steve Mnuchin engineered something Mnuchin? into the CARES Act, the financial stimulus to be able to uh, essentially bail out those small oil companies rather than nationalizing them and being able to set a timeline for them to have to stop producing those fossil fuels in the same exact way that Obama in 2009 uh bailed out GM and the auto industry they had a majority stake in those auto companies and instead of exercising that vote and saying you need to start moving towards producing electric vehicles and setting up uh, something that isn't around uh, internal combustion engines that are using fossil fuels. Instead, the government bailed them out and said, "Y'all keep doing whatever you want. Y'all keep like uh, like playing on the free market. Everything is fine." So we missed an opportunity last March to essentially nationalize significant parts of the fossil fuel industry, uh, and then uh, you know use the iron fist of the eco-socialist state uh, <laughs> to uh, say this is the timeline by which you have to stop producing fossil fuels. And so, um, you know, we we as materialists um, need to be like uh, thinking about the way that we can build power so that when the time comes, we can put that demand forward in a more serious way next time.
0: Right. The question becomes essentially like, oh, the adults in the room are not in charge. How do we just take the table from them at some point? Um, but I mean, there's there's some like fun stuff to talk about the capitalist
1: vision of the future right now. Like the Biden infrastructure bill that I, I think it passed this week. In, this, or in the through? Senate, there's both a reconciliation bill that's like Democrats only. And then there's also a bipartisan infrastructure bill that's mostly roads and highways. It's getting like horse traded between the Senate and the House. It's like very confusing federal legislative processes.
0: Right. I can't believe I can't keep up (laughs) with this. But uh, I I did see the fun clickbait headline that Hyperloop is now officially part of the deal. As Americans, we are behind Hyperloop. We're getting in the car with two people in it and we're shooting through the tube
1: and it takes you underground past the
0: fires. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) Elon Musk wanted to bring that to Chicago uh, and like put it along the same train line that uh, took people from the airport downtown. He literally wanted to build a tunnel that just went next to the train line that working class people would use for rich people to like go with their cars. Um, so uh. you wouldn't have to like touch the pores basically. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's a great pores avoidance
0: device, which is not how they're marketing it, but it seems like the best use for the thing. Um, it just really throws into the tricky part of the situation, which is like, Look, capitalism is here now, and this stuff is happening, and it is not driven by looking at the graphs and then doing the thing on the graphs. It's whatever the biggest companies essentially say they want to do. We have to keep them propped up or the economy will fall down. So that means we're getting the Futurama tubes. Right. It's the only way through.
2: Yeah, and it's, you know, the... As we've said ad nauseum, the market can't handle this, but if it does, then it's going to be more of this Elon Musk stuff. And right now we have a climate czar in Sir John Forbes Carey. Sir John Carey? sir. Yes. Uh, and he United. likens this to World War II which I don't think is a bad uh, sort of analogy um, especially when it comes to like a just transition you compare that to like the GI bill because uh, I think the you know and this is something that uh, eco socialists have started to focus on as well is is radicalizing and organizing fossil fuel workers especially ones who have been like laid off uh, but he and I heard in an interview this is from a few years ago where he said that the genius of the Paris agreement is that it sets up all the circles, and then the free market fills in the blanks. Like this is very much a market based. It. We're creating a new economy, and if you do create that new economy, which you're not going to be able to do without massive state intervention, it's going to benefit, uh, you know, the wealthy elites, and it's not. It's going to protect basically uh, the elites from the poor's and from climate change. Uh, however. We're talking about generationally taking the table away. Right now, there is a plan to uh, do a lot of things with the public schools in the country um, that will not only weatherize, advance things, modernize, get them, you know, uh, get lead out of the pipes and all that stuff. But also, is there a possibility that this new Green New Deal for public schools will uh, change the child mindset to one of cooperation and uh, but, you know, basically instill in a new generation the need for a cooperative, uh, eco-socialist economy. Not to not to give any sound bites to conservatives, but uh, in theory.
1: No, but I, I I think that it's fine to be explicit about our vision, uh, yeah. which is that like uh, we do want to. Uh, part of the reason why we want to have schools be a cornerstone of what we're doing in the short to medium term is that schools are one of the last real uh, public institutions um, that are left in this neoliberal hellscape that we live in. And so we can like lean into the fact that like we want to, uh, you know, save that public institution and nine out of 10 uh you know uh, especially black and brown kids but also working class more generally kids are um participating in and um that's okay and it's um okay to say like the conservatives are wrong when they say that there is no such thing as a society in fact there is mm-hmm. such thing as a society and um you know um i would argue as like uh, a marxist that not everybody has to be a marxist or a leninist or whatever like, even if you're not a socialist, you should still believe in this idea of uh, investing in public goods um, and in that like um, society of cooperation that you're talking about. And so if we can invest millions every year through the New Deal for Public Schools bill and also um, do things like keep fighting for the labor reforms that are in the PRO Act, um, that was the first step in our equal socialist green new deal campaign. And in the long term, uh, getting to our, our vision for the next like decade or so, which is passing a jobs guarantee, making sure that anybody who wants one can have a real, um, green job that can help build that society that we want to see. Um, like all of those things together are going to be able to get us to a place of, uh, transformation and like, We're we're, uh, almost certainly, (laughs) who knows, I will never say absolutely, but we'll almost certainly not be able to completely smash the market and smash, you know, this 250 year old system in the next decade, because we have so much that has to be done in order to just mitigate the worst of the harm. But what we can do is that we can build those uh, deep, uh, like, uh, institutions, um, those organizations, we can rebuild the labor movement. Um, we can have people that are going to fight for us, um, and, um, stop the worst of the harm and also create the possibilities for us to keep fighting. Like that is what we are doing as eco-socialists. And as, um, socialists right now is we're basically trying to like open up enough space for us to keep fighting, um, and make sure that the world doesn't cut co- like, uh, totally collapse. So, yeah. So the- this is the
0: this is the America's premier God Socialist podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we talk a lot of DSA shop on here. I feel like I would be remiss if I wasn't like grilling you slightly about this or pushing back at all. So let's <laughs> let's say I'm like Joe America Smith who works at Macy's, and I'm just some fuck who has heard through like CNN or some terrible media outlet. Uh, there's an official U.N. report that we're all in a lot of trouble about climate change, and I'm really worked up about it. Uh, as DSA, like, how does it behoove us as socialists? Like, how do we tap into new people being like, I see you're concerned about the superstorms and we're going to redo our public schools? Like, how do you What what is the, the strategy behind this specific leg of it?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I think that uh, the the basics of the strategy are that, again, like nine out of 10 kids use public schools. Um, and so probably that person um, has either a kid directly or knows somebody that is in public school. Um, and oftentimes those public schools have crumbling infrastructure that is on the verge of collapsing even more because of those superstorms, because of that extreme weather. And so the idea is that if we're investing in things like green retrofits, which is gonna require work and labor, then we'll be able to not only bring down a bit of emissions um, and do it in a systematic way at the municipal and at the state level, but we'll also be able to, in the long run, create a community hub where people are going to come together we know that people are able to survive things like heat waves like hurricanes like superstorms when they have strong social networks and social bonds And they're able to care for each other uh, and then also make demands of the people with decision making power together and collectively. And so our job as an organization is to not only bring those bonds together, but then also create a vision of what making those demands can look like. Um, And that's why that person should come to the next meeting that we're having uh, (laughs) and uh, become a DSA member.
2: Great pitch. Yeah. And I think also like adding that this uh, the economy right now, the prospects for uh, millennials, but also like Zoomers and the next generation beyond that, I don't even know what they're called, is pretty bleak right now. And I think most people, regardless of their politics, realize that and they see, you know, maybe we may not have all these solar panels and all this stuff set up now to get – Uh, we're not absolutely ready like other countries, but uh, that's going to be the future, right? Other countries are doing it. That's how you, if you believe in competition, that's how uh, the next generation is going to compete on the global economy is to be trained in these technologies. So we got to start now for the sake of your children and grandchildren.
0: Right. So you're doing grassroots program, uh, 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 electoral initiatives, you're, you're proposing solutions, and uh, working with the the materials you have at hand—that makes sense in a materialist sense. Um, what does the greater, you know, socialist climate struggle look like? You know, uh, the the debate that a lot of these podcasts end up going back to is like, all right, we've decided we absolutely should be not doing this under capitalism, but we for sure have to because it's happening right now. Um, what can we do within that like what what do we target within that and like where do we work alongside the other climate groups like extinction rebellion or all these people who are like massive swaths of mobilized liberals but they're like not doing anything particularly productive
1: yeah, totally. Well, um, part of our theory of change uh, as the DSA eco socialists is that there are millions of people who are just totally paralyzed by climate despair right now and who are not in motion from those well, like mobilized people um, who might have like. They might be um, moved to action by words like extinction. Uh, (laughs) Our theory of change is that that's actually not going to appeal to millions of people. And we want to focus on those millions of people that are not yet in motion. Um, And we might find overlap in certain places. And that's great, but it's not our top priority. Um, So um, basically, uh, we have... As the DSA Eco-Socialist, we have uh, seven principles for uh, Eco-Socialist Green New Deal. Um, that are around uh, full decarbonization of the entire economy by 2030, um, which we may have to revise based on this new science, um, but that was what we passed in 2018. Um, uh, Democratizing control over major energy systems. So that means things like working at the local level to take public control of electric utilities, what we've been working on in Chicago and other places, all the way up to things like what I was talking about earlier, where we make demands to nationalize the fossil fuel industry at strategic moments, centering the working class in, in a just transition. So y'all talked about that historic demand that was created by uh, oil, uh, a labor militant, Steve Mazza. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Tony Mazzucchi, uh in the oil, chemical and atomic workers, who is, he was working with oil workers and nuclear mm-hmm. workers uh, and said, like, we need to ensure that people are able to get trained out of this and then also have health care for the rest of their lives because they've sacrificed their lives for these dirty jobs. Uh, decommodifying survival, so doing things like free healthcare, free rent, um, and pieces like that, um, and connecting it to so making Medicare for all a climate demand, um, and moving beyond Medicare for all to decommodification, um, and a couple of others, uh, including also talking about demilitarization and decolonization. So pointing to the largest fossil fuel emitters. Like the U.S. military, the Pentagon, and saying no, we should not be talking about climate change as a national security issue. Instead, we should talking about we should be talking about how the U.S. war machine um, is the thing that is like uh, uh, driving fossil fuel extraction and exploitation, and we actually need to stop that. Um, but doing so in a way that is not uh, adventurist or or ultra leftist, um, but instead doing so in a way that is able to talk about uh, the way that the military um, exploits people both at home and abroad, um, and how we have like a shared material interest. Um, And then also like, you know, just very simply uh, taxing the rich in order to make it happen. Um, Like, um, you know, the rich, um, like Elon Musk and other people, they're going to, uh, you know, try and extract every last penny that they can until they're able to go to Mars and leave us all to burn. Um, And so the way that we neutralize them is to tax them out of existence for now. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll see.
0: Right. The billionaires leaving the planet with all of our shit. I feel like that's got to be top five concerns. Right. Right. The uh, fixing the planet project. Do you think maybe we get like an anti Bezos in the mix? Like just get one of the like lib billionaires to just like kind of not even not even join our side. Let's leave that out of it. But
1: just maybe like throw a wrench in the works for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that there are some people like that who are funding many of the like liberal NGO uh, organizations. I think that um. Uh, There are there are some people like that, uh, some of whom I know um, who do have access to a lot of wealth um, that are, uh, I think, trying to do their best to redistribute money. But what we actually need and I think what they will say oftentimes, too, is that what we need is like systemic fixes that are going to not only take their wealth, but also the wealth of the people who are like trying to fight against us politically. And that's good. And it'll do things like systemic um, redistribution um, of wealth. So, you know, we might have liberal millionaires or even billionaires who are making big grants to fund like local solar projects, but that's only ever going to be a little finger in the dike. And what we actually need is um, like systemic redistribution of wealth so that we can have like uh, publicly owned and democratically controlled renewable energy infrastructure.
2: Right. I, I think the basic response to that is like if billionaires were capable or wanted to really stop climate change, it would have happened By now, like they've been giving, throwing money at different projects and things for for years, but it hasn't really threatened their own power, which is what uh, we need to do. What
0: impressed me, like with the with the Bezos space thing that happened a few weeks ago, and we talked about this is you have these like economic titans who like single handedly control U.S. policy. And they do stuff like they have their own little spaceship games they do or whatever. And you like project like this guy, he's got a plan. He's going to leave us all to eat dirt. And he talks into a microphone. And it's just astounding like how dumb these people are. Like, he said something about like how important it is that we start mining asteroids. That is... Something completely out of touch with the current situation. That's it doesn't matter how many little rocks have you have to, around here.
2: That's something we're going to have to end up doing if we don't like actually address climate change in the, all the ways we need to.
0: Totally. And it will be unrealistic to do so if you don't address climate change. That's my fucking point. <laughs> right. Totally. And
1: there, there are liberals like um, what's his name? Brian Deese, the guy who controlled um, a big portfolio of BlackRock, um, which is like the largest financial services uh, firm in the fucking world. And they like made this commitment. They were like, we care about climate change. We're divesting everything in our portfolio. And that's going to be a market signal. And we're going to invest in sustainability and blah, blah, blah. And then Brian Deese, you know, went on and got hired by the Biden administration. And what did the Biden administration do in response to the IPCC report yesterday? They put out a fucking press release to OPEC saying, please drill more oil. Um, and so, <laughs> like, you know, of course, um, these people are still going to be thinking about, like, how to make a profit over anything because that's how the system works. So, mm. yeah, Um
0: so rounding, rounding out here. If you're listening to this show, you are some stripe of lefty. You you own a crystal at your house somewhere. Um, <laughs> the the real game here is activating people, kind of by shocking them. Like you can't just play video games through this, but then not spooking them so much they go catatonic. Right. So the, I, the question think- for the day, and this is this is what I want to round out on. Is is it cringe to maintain hope? Discuss.
2: <laughs> I, I well, I think sort of, uh, but it, here's what I want to say. Uh, sort of to that point is like, just if we're thinking about getting people on board strategically, uh, it, it doesn't matter how true this is. If you go up to somebody, no matter what their you know background is, and you say to them, uh, "You need to get involved in this for your own moral." Sort of edification, and you need to give up things in your personal life. They're probably not going to join. Maybe some people, and that is who has joined uh, right. so far. Heroes, right? <laughs> but rather than uh, making just an existential point about you know the future, which is all true, right? But I think there's probably an argument to be made that consumption overall will be uh, will probably have to go down. But you, it, it's probably not smart to lead with that argument, no matter who you're talking to, and not make it about, you know, uh, this, this catas- casta- catastrophism, excuse me, it's a difficult word. Um, but uh, as, tr- again, as true as that is, I think we need to make a very practical case to people that this is, this is good for you. This is good for your family. Uh, let's do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about how You know, some of the things that cause the worst emissions are also the things that um, cause, uh, like, uh, everyday, like... Minor disturbances all the way to major health issues in people's lives. Thinking about like the uh, smoke from the wildfires in the Northwest that both emitted a ton of emissions. And then also, you know, everybody around me, um, those with asthma and those without asthma, had a terrible racking cough um, for a week. Um, and so, like, thinking about how um we're like bound together and we need to have solidarity with each other and that's like a very material thing it's not just about like morals it is a very material um thing that like we have to be able to to be in solidarity with each other around this and in terms of like being uh cringe about having hope no, I mean, it's, um, I, uh, I've been like doing this for almost a decade and like, I've been aware of every IPCC report and sometimes it's really depressing and it is hard to have hope, but, um, I've never given up hope. And actually in many ways, I'm more hopeful than I have ever been because, um, I have seen all of the work that we've done as the eco-socialists, as DSA, uh, as like the rising organized left. Um, And, uh, like labor starting to come together. Yes. We had a big loss, um, when Bernie Sanders was not elected, but we almost had a socialist, um, in the fucking highest office, uh, um, in 2020. Um, and, you know, coming out of this pandemic, there's going to be, uh, like, uh, the possibilities for huge upswings in class struggle. And like, it is our job as socialists, uh, and to like, put our fucking like shoulder to the grindstone and be like, all right, we need to have hope. We need to give people a vision of a better world. We've been doing that for hundreds of years and now is not the time to stop because every ton of carbon that we stop, every fucking life that we're able to save is going to be worth it no matter how bad things get. Um, And so, yeah, like more life and like more solidarity is always like the way that I go about it.
0: I I would argue anybody who's been in a life-threatening situation knows that sometimes it is cringe to save yourself, but you should do it anyway right? (laughs) out of your own goddamn interest. So if you're
2: listening to the show,
1: sign up for something. For the love of God. Absolutely. One of the things you can sign up for, you can go to greennewschools.com. We have a website for our Green New Deal for Public Schools campaign, which is this bill that Congressman Jamal Bowman has put forward. Um, As we said, there's a really complicated federal legislative process happening right now. Lots of jockeying between the Democrats and the Republicans for an infrastructure bill. There's also this individual standalone bill that DSA... And um, probably a growing coalition fairly soon is fighting for so that um, we're going to get investment in public schools in this reconciliation bill. And then we're going to keep fighting for uh, green investment um, in our public schools beyond that, too. We're going to (coughs) keep, you know, uh, following our tribunes of the working class that are in Congress and beyond, um, like Jamal Bowman, um, who's fucking amazing. We're going to keep fighting for everything in the PRO Act. Um and in the long term, we're gonna fight for a jobs guarantee. So you should join the DSA Eco Socialists. Um, and um you can go to ecosocialists.dsausa.org for that. And if you're not a member, you should absolutely join DSA. Um it uh, you know, things might get messy on Twitter occasionally, but that's what being in a democratic organization looks like. Um and uh we got that's 250 up chapters, for. and it's um it's real great. So that's that's my recommendations.
2: <clears throat> yeah, and we'll put the uh, link in the notes, in the show notes, to uh, sign up. I believe there's some phone banking happening yes. pretty soon with uh, GND for public schools, right?
1: Yep. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing phone banks, and then we're also doing local base building work where people are gonna be adopting a school and doing canvassing and um, basically starting to create local campaign committees that are gonna bring in building trades workers, teachers, students, family, and community members to start talking about how um, like establishing a vision of what it will look like to have public schools um, as like a community hub um, mm-hmm. that uh, can be uh, invested in. And then also uh, can you can use them to like organize, so. Cool. All right, Sean Estelle, thank you for coming on. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at shytrans underscore plant. And uh, you can also check out my Goodreads profile. Uh, I like to post reviews of the books that I read, and I'll be doing a lot of that. So Nice. Review
0: cool. Sean's reviews. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> All right, we're going to call it there for now.